This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. A combination of seeing the suffering in the world and also taking on the practices ourselves and seeing that transformation occur within us to make us really want to push and make this difference. And then, you know, after working with that first group of, of guys for just a year, you could see it. You know, you could see such a large difference in the impact had on them within just a year's time that we kind of knew that we got something here. And that's when we just kept growing the program and spreading it. Welcome to the Be Here Now guest podcast. This series features a collection of teachings and conversations centered around mindfulness, spiritual growth, and living a life in balance. Each week, our diverse network of guest teachers and hosts offer up wisdom and practices from a different spiritual path and perspective. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash donate. Hello, everybody. My name is David Devine. I'm here with Ali Smith, Atman Smith, and Andreas Gonzalez. And today we are going to talk about their experience with their organization they started a while back ago called Holistic Life Foundation. And then the creation of the book that we are essentially going to get into. And I have them on today. And these are my brothers. I'm really excited to talk to them and dive into their work and also the work they do with the community. So welcome to this episode, guys. It's good to have you on. It's good to be here with you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. It's always a pleasure connecting with you, man. Always good to hear your beautiful voice, David. Always. I appreciate that. All right. So we're here today to talk about your organization and the creation of your book, which is actually your first book. And it's very interesting because you guys have been doing this work for a while. And for, you know, for the listeners who may kind of know you and for the listeners who are just hearing you for the first time, Let's dive into what is the Holistic Life Foundation? Where did it start? And what was the inspiration behind it? And like, tell us the work you do and what you're striving to look for. So the work that started the Holistic Life Foundation started before either three of us were even born. I think it started with our dad, our mom, and our teacher. Um, Our teacher was one of those people who was Black Panther into like making change like heavy in the Black Panthers in Baltimore. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that he didn't see um, a revolution really being able to change things. Like he was like, there's something like that. I'm missing something. There's something else missing. He walked past the bookstore and he saw this guy with like a mustache and a big smile. And it was a book by Mayor Baba. He grabbed the book and he read it. And then he went back and got a whole stack of books in Baltimore, all these like Kundalini yoga manuals and all this cool stuff. To him, that got him on the path of yoga and yoga in the broad sense, not like bending and stretching, but like yoga as a way you live your life 
and try to merge your consciousness with that universal consciousness within you. You know, he he was all about it. Our dad uh, was his homie. They were friends in college and stayed really good friends. I mean, they had to stay good friends of me and Atman are, I mean, he's me and Atman's godfather. So like we've known him my whole life. And this, and our, our dad had a prostate issue. My dad was like really fit. Probably like at that point, he was, our dad was like a little under six feet, 240, all muscle. Like he was like solid, but he was like, he was all about his physical health, but he had a prostate issue. He was a teacher in sports too, right? He was a coach. He was a PE teacher and a coach. Yeah. He had that like background of physicality. Yeah. His, his degree was even in kinesiology. He was all about physical fitness. Like, and he, and he's coached like every single sport. I remember he coached basketball, baseball, football, swimming. One year he even coached ping pong at the school. Just so we could have access to the gym so that people could play, his kids could play basketball after they finished playing ping pong. It was cool because, uh, like, at that point, we were living, like, when we were with, when we stayed with our dad, we were staying with his girlfriend, and they got rid of the dining room table. So the dining room table was like a ping pong table. So, like, we would play ping pong and eat and play ping pong and eat. And, like, he was good. He would kick our asses, but he was good. He, he had the prostate issue. Went to our godfather and was like, man, like, I don't, I don't like that. Like, that prostate exam was the pits. Like, I don't want to deal with that. You know, like Uncle Will, Uncle, you'll hear us say Uncle Will a lot. Uncle Will's like our father. He was like, well, I got these four things I can show you to fix your prostate. You know, and dad's like, bullshit, man. How are you going to show him? Like, how are you going to show me four things that's going to fix my prostate? And it was just like four stretches. Showed them to him. My dad did them. He came back and was like, yeah, like, I, I need some more of that. He's, Uncle Will sent him a copy of the complete illustrated book of yoga. Our dad dove into that. Like, that, he really got into Hatha because, he, like, we were just talking about, he was really into physicality. So I think the Hatha practices kind of spoke to him. And then they started going around to, like, all these, like, ashrams and churches around the area, Baltimore, D.C.-ish area, learning Kundalini, learning Tantra. We joined, they joined a church, uh, the Divine Life Church of Absolute Monism at the time, which became the Divine Life Church of Absolute Oneness, a church that me and Atman grew up in, uh, based on Self-Realization Fellowship and Kriya Yoga. All this was going on before me and Atman were born. And, uh, and oh, and actually at that time, my mom got to, got into like being vegan. And she's, they went to, um, there was some like, um, like Hare Krishna temple in DC that she would go to to learn how to make really good vegetarian food because she wanted to eat well if we were going to be vegan, be vegetarian. So all this is going on. Me and Atman are born and we're thrust into like this kind of yogic vegan lifestyle. But in like the early eighties when, People looked at us like we were crazy when they found out what was going on in our house. And, you know, what I mean, now we've been the coolest motherfuckers on the planet, like being vegan and doing yoga and meditating and all that stuff. But back then, it was just weird to everybody. So, you know, our dad would get us up in the morning, make us meditate before school every morning. We didn't find out until a lot later that we were doing transcendental meditation. Actually, maybe like within the last five years, what do you think, Otman? We found out it was actually transcendental meditation we were doing. Yeah, I think within the last five. Yeah, so we found out it was like transcendental meditation was he was teaching us. So it was like our morning routine was we would go and we would meditate with our dad. We would There was like this little black and white TV that popped up out of this radio um, in the kitchen that we would watch. We would watch Scooby-Doo and Woody Woodpecker eat our breakfast and go to school every single morning. Like that was like clockwork, like... Like the screen on the TV is probably like, I don't know, like four inches across. Like it was tiny, but it was like we would be crowded around this TV watching cartoons after we meditated. Uh, that was our, our introduction into the practice. We, like I said, we grew up in the Divine Life Church of Absolute Oneness uh, run by Acharya Peter, who became Swami Shankarananda later, um, who always talked about truth is one. People call it by various names and talked about the commonality in all religious practices. Uh, the underlying spiritual truths of all of them were exactly the same. It was just a matter of um, 
peeling back the truths to stop separating people. So that was going on. And then um, we went to Friends School of Baltimore, which is a Quaker school. Uh, the Quakers were all about, you know, taking a pause before you did anything, um, the light of God being in everyone, you know, celebrating diversity, but also the the unity in all things, being a steward. Like there's all those things that were underlying at Friends. It was like all the things around us, um, our home, our um, our church, and our school were all kind of based on contemplative practice. Um, and then I think another big thing was our parents, the neighborhood we grew up in, North and Pulaski, it was like a... Um, it was a village, you know what I mean? Like our family was a lot bigger than the people that lived in our house with us. Our family was our entire community. And I think it was it had built in mentoring. It had, like we have tons of older brothers and sisters from our neighborhood. Um, our friends, we hung out with the same people every day. We'd knock on their door and we, or they would knock on our door and we'd just play together. So it was, like a, it was like a village. And I think all those things led to us going in this direction or uh, kind of coming back to this point because when our parents got divorced, it all kind of disappeared. Like, our parents got divorced, so our, our village kind of got torn apart. We weren't practicing yoga or meditation. Or, or we weren't even doing yoga. We weren't practicing meditation anymore. Uh, we kind of was spotty going to church. Like we, we would go every once in a while, but it wasn't really like that. Like we were going every Sunday before. And then, yeah, no more meditation. We weren't vegetarian anymore. Um, so it was like all that stuff that was like a base for us kind of disappeared. All of it other than friends disappeared. So it was like, but, you know, it was, it was still, you know, seeds were still there somewhere because uh, this is what we're doing now. And then fast forward, if somebody wants to take over from, from there. Yeah, fast forward to college. Uh, we all went to University of Maryland College Park. And uh, we met Andy, our business partner, Andres, at the meditation uh, retreat uh, that we went to. Just joking, we didn't meet there. We met uh, at the bars. Uh, you know, we were hanging out, partying and having fun doing what college students do. And, you know, we were like those guys that were like the first ones at the party, last ones to leave. We were like raging party animals. And, you know, I don't know how it happened, but our partying ended up turning into a, a book club. You know, I guess at the end of the night, we would sit around and philosophize and ask questions like, you know, why are we here? What's the purpose of life? You know, after college, you know, what are we going to do? We're just going to go get a job. And all of those questions kind of led us to kind of start a book club to look for these answers. And, you know, we went to all the different obscure libraries all across campus and, you know, researched like creational theories, religions, ancient history, philosophy, astronomy, astrology. And, you know, it, it seemed like the more we read, we had more questions. And, you know, they would always talk about the answers within you know, they never tell you how to get within. And, you know, prior to us being in college, our godfather, who eventually became our teacher, would always try to get me and Ali, you know, to do yoga and meditation. And we would just look at him like he was crazy. And, you know, at that time in college, when Andy, Ali, and I were like thirsting for knowledge and trying to find that answer that's within us, you know, he just popped up on the scene and asked us, you know, Actually, he, we asked him to be our teacher because we saw a manual on his altar where, you know, it was one of those Kundalini books that Ali was talking about that he picked up uh, in the late 80s or in the early 80s by Yogi Bhajan, where, you know, it taught, you know, a lot of uh, miraculous practices, meditations that you can do. And, you know, we're big into superheroes and Star Wars. And we asked him, we were like, yo, uh, yoga and meditation can help you do this. It can give you superpowers, man. Because, you know, we were, we were all about trying to be superpowers. Count me in. Give me them superpowers. 
That's exactly what yeah. we were thinking. We were like, yo, we're going to become superheroes and save the planet, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, some people, that, that does happen. It's a byproduct, but it's not the purpose of, you know, yoga and meditation. But, you know, if you all are interested, just you got to promise me two things. You got to show up at our house at, or at his house at 4.30 the next morning. And, you know, you have to be teachers. I'll teach you everything that I know. Y'all just have to promise to be teachers. And, you know, we went over there. We surprised him, knocked on his door at 429 in the morning. And, you know, that's when our journey began. And, you know, we realized through doing these practices that, like, that is that answer that we were looking at within. Like, what's the purpose of life? And it's connecting your universal consciousness with your individual consciousness and just trying to ease a lot of pain through these practices. And, you know, that's what we saw. We saw it kind of it strengthened us mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And, uh, you know, we knew this was a, a technique or a tool that could help others too. So that's how we got into yoga. And, you know, we didn't really know, you know, what we wanted to do in life, you know, after college. Uh, you know, our dad always preached to us, you know, to be entrepreneurs and not to earn a check and be a check. And, you know, he told us that he would support us, but we didn't really know what we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to help alleviate the suffering on the planet, but we didn't know how that was going to come to fruition. But in our last year of college, or my last year of college, Andy and Ali got the opportunity to uh, be football coaches at a school that my mom was teacher at and or facilitating a program at. And, you know, the principal, Ali and Andy used to pick up my mom uh, from school and she asked, like, what are they doing? Like, what, are they, what, what, what do they have jobs, you know? And they're like, no, they're just, you know, finding themselves. And, like, and then the principal was like, uh, well, would they coach football? And then, you know, my mom came back to those guys and, you know, proposed that to them. And that's where the whole idea of teaching kids yoga came to be. And, you know, that was, you know, our first program was teaching fifth graders yoga uh, after school. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of the inspiration for us to do this work came from our own personal practice, you know, that, you know, when Ali Atman and I were getting together with Uncle Will and we were living as hermits and, and really like seeing the world in a different way and, and, and taking these practices on and transforming ourselves, basically. I think that's one of the big parts. I mean, beyond when we were in college and we're talking to each other about how there's all this suffering in the world and we want to be these superheroes and make a difference and help save the world and all. I think a large part was we saw that transformation occur within us and we knew that everyone could benefit from these practices in some way, shape, or form. So when we got that opportunity that I was talking about uh, with those fifth grade group of guys, it was something where it was like, yeah, you know, you know, we love sports and football and stuff like that. But we kind of knew like, man, can we teach them this? Because, you know, this has done amazing stuff for us. And if we could, I, I know for me, you know, it was a little different for me. Ali and I had a, a practice a little more when they were younger, but I didn't. And, and I, I could only imagine at that point in my life how, I was thinking like, man, if I had gotten these techniques and learned this stuff when I was little, like in the fifth grade, that I would I would probably be Superman already. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it was a combination of seeing the suffering in the world and also taking on the practices ourselves and seeing that transformation occur within us to make us really want to push and make this difference. And then, you know, after working with that first group of, of guys for just a year, you could see it. You know, you could see beyond the the anecdotal stories of, of the teachers saying, oh man, such and such did this, or the mother was saying, oh, such and such did this, and I can't believe they're doing that, but you would see 
that there's not as many of them in detention. And, and, and we would see they're not beefing with each other as much and they're being more compassionate to other people. And you could see such a large difference in, of the impact had on them within just a year's time that we kind of knew that we got something here. And that's when we just kept growing the program and spreading it. So we followed those group of guys through uh, their middle school years, picked them up and, and just kept growing kind of our family, our community of, of these young individuals who were teaching these practices to. And it just got to a point where it exploded, you know, where instead of it being 15 kids now, after a few years, we're in a gymnasium with 90 kids who are, it's pure chaos and footballs are being thrown everywhere and there's basketballs being shot and he's like head on a swivel so a frisbee doesn't hit you in the head. And then five minutes later, everyone's on yoga mats and it's still, you can feel the energy still kind of wild. And then, you know, 10 minutes later after doing some poses, it's calming down. Then another 15 minutes later, after some breath work, the room's getting stiller and stiller. And then when we lay down and do the meditation, there's this peace. And it was so powerful to see this. And, and we just knew we were doing right. And I think something that really helped us out was we did the uh, first ever randomized controlled trial study on urban youth and mindfulness practices. And once we got some evidence-based practices, we, you know, a study that showed and proved, you know, we in our hearts knew that this stuff works. But I think that's what really kind of put our name on the map and people started reaching out to us more. And, and then we started going out to different programs on our city, around the nation, around the world, you know, and now yeah, we've been doing this for 20 years now. And, and I think that it got to a point where we wanted to tell our story and that's kind of where the book came across. And I think there's a sense of science loves data and analytics and quantitatively proving something, even though you're in the space teaching it and you're, you're literally seeing the transformation happen in front of you. You're watching like... Science doesn't do well with, oh, the energy of the room shift. So they kind of want to see, they want to see some things happen. And what's really beautiful to hear is that you guys didn't forcefully try to create something. It just like presented itself and you stepped up and you stepped into that teacher role. And so it's really awesome to hear. So it sounded like, you know, you're supposed to coach and then it went from teaching yoga and then the idea for Holistic Life Foundation came out of that. So once you once you like started teaching the yoga and you saw the transformations happening with these kids, and then then the organization started, and then you were creating these programs. No, nah, actually, the funny thing is, like when we when me and Andy graduated, we got we gave up our places at Maryland. We were hanging out at Ottman's. Like Ottman's was like our spot. Like we were just there all the time, like just reading, and we go out and hoop and we read some more, like. Remember me and Andy, we got, you know, we had our family gave us graduation parties. We bought like books and camping equipment. Like cause we were going to camp and we were going to read and we bought tons of books. We'd be like sitting on Ottman's floor, just reading be like, Oh, did you know this? And like we'd be all around his living room. And then we saw Matthew Lesko pop up on TV. Um, that guy that wears like the question marks on his lab coat, real, real animated. Like let the government pay for you to build a house or start a business. Oh, or yeah, th- yeah. Th- that guy. So we saw him on TV and we were like, Holy shit, this is us right here. We're going to start, like, we're going to get the government to give us grants, and then grants are going to help us save the world. Like, that's what we're going to do. The government's going to pay us to save the world. What a stupid idea. We thought, ass it was fucking, idea we, that thought was, we were huh? fucking geniuses. Like, <laughs> it's fucking geniuses yeah, at we, the time, right? <laughs> we went to the computer. Like there's a story in there. We printed, we printed up a grant from the EPA on ground level ozone detection because my degree was environmental science and policy. So we were like, well, let's try this. So, and Ottman had this old ass printer, probably like, the size of like a small car. You know what I mean? It was like gigantic. Like took up the whole desk. So we pushed print. We went to go play basketball. We came back. The document was still printing. Like it wasn't even done printing yet. The printer was so slow, but it, it was serving a purpose. So we got this big ass like 
giant stack of papers and we're starting to fill it out. We realized that just as a as an individual, you can't get a grant needed a nonprofit. So we, 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 we moved back to small street. We started a nonprofit. We didn't even know we had no clue how to start a nonprofit. Like that's Andy's turf though. Cause he's a business graduate, right? Yeah. But they don't really teach you nothing like that. Yeah. But they don't teach you any <laughs> of that stuff in school, man. They don't, te- they don't teach you none of that. Stuff we, we literally went to ask Jeeves. Like, I don't even know if Google was around at that point. People were really using Google, but we went to ask Jeeves and looked up how to start a nonprofit in Maryland, printed up a checklist and went down the list. And uh, I remember even we were thinking about a name. The only reason we're the Holistic Life Foundation, we were looking for a word. My dad had this giant, giant dictionary. We were looking up words um, and we holistic, we are holistic. We went with life. And the only reason there's a foundation in our name is because we thought foundation was an all nonprofit name. So we were the Holistic Life Foundation. Like that's the only reason foundation's in our name. So it was like, we started a nonprofit, but we didn't have anything to do. Like we had a nonprofit and we had a really, really, really deep practice. Like I'm sure I'm and Andy would say this is probably one of the best times of our entire lives. Like it was like we would get up in the morning, we would go, we would meet Uncle Will at Lake Montebello. We would sit around the lake. We would do Kundalini practices. We were doing Hatha. We were doing Kriya. We were doing Pranayama. We would meditate. And then by the time we we're finished, the sun was coming up and then we would go and we'd do some work. Um, we would, or we would do whatever, but we would go about our day. And then like when we weren't with him, we were all practicing on our own. We'd get up at like 4 a.m. on our own and do our own practices. But it was like all about that. And it was all about studying. Like we did a lot of studying. We did a lot of reading. We had tons of time to read. Uh, we were keeping like dream journals, like trying to practice astral traveling, like all that stuff. Like we had time to do. Um, and we were just like sponges. Like I remember Uncle Will used to, he would, he would make fun of us because we'd go over there with like, we'd be fresh out of college. We'd go over there with like notebooks. Like I'm sure, like I know I still have my notebook. I'm sure I'm in an Andy stuff. their notebooks when we first started going over to Uncle Will's. It was like, he was like, what are y'all doing? We were like, man, we taking notes. We don't want to forget it. He would just bust out laughing. Like, y'all, he was like, y'all motherfuckers crazy. Like, he would always say that to us. Like, he would always like laugh at us. But, but we were so serious about it and so hungry for it that he was like, I think it was good for him because it made him want to learn more. Like, you know what I mean? He was always learning, but like, I think he stepped up his game as a teacher because we were so hungry for knowledge. He was like, I want to make sure if they're going to, if they're really going to go out here and be teachers, I want to make sure that they, he would always tell us like, I need to teach you all as many forms of yoga as possible because you're not going to be able to teach the same thing to everybody. You're not going to be able to teach like a four-year-old the same thing you can do as a 90-year-old in the senior center. And I want you all to be ready to teach everybody. So he gave us all these forms of yoga, like start off really physical and then got really, really subtle. And like for the last probably like 10, 15 years, we were learning from him. We didn't roll out mats. Like we would just sit around his kitchen table and he would give us the yoga of of how you were and how you you with your energy and, and love and like tapping into your light and helping other people tap into theirs without having to be physically active at all. And it was, it was a beautiful process. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com 
slash be here now. Yeah, and one thing that I really love about hearing you guys talk about your practice and your hunger for it and developing it is when you're talking about yoga, yoga is not just a physical practice. It's a mental practice. It's an emotional practice. It's, it's never a moment when you're not practicing. It is always a practice. It's a, it's a practice of life. And I would love to hear a little bit more about that because you, you sort of referenced it in the beginning and you just referenced it now of how you're being taught not only like to work with different body types and movabilities of bodies, but you're also talking about how to be emotionally mature and to understand and reflect and stop and think and use your, use your mind and your heart. And I think that's very important because I think the American mindset, a lot of the time, you know, there is a bit of philosophy in there, but it's not, it's not like what you think about. When you think yoga, you're like, I'm going to lay on a mat. I'm going to do some like hard poses and my body's going to feel nice. I mean, when you said that, it took me back to a quote that Uncle Will used to always say that yoga isn't something that, that you do, it's something that you are. You know, like uh, one thing we always say is that, you know, somebody could roll out their yoga mat and do yoga an hour a day. And then they get off their mat and they could be an asshole for the 23 other hours left in the day. But it's really something about taking your yoga practice off the mat and into your life. Um, you know, like you said, you know, the physical yoga is great for keeping your physical vehicle strong and, you know, mobile and, you know, all that stuff and healthy. But, you know, it's, there are other yoga practices that you can do to make sure that your mind is healthy, your heart is healthy. And, you know, that, like Ali said, that's kind of uh, a lot of the practices that we got into uh, as we went further and further uh, down the path with our teacher, Uncle Will. You know, he, he always taught you to kind of analyze uh, yourself and, you know, not only just look at the bright parts of yourself, but also look at the, uh, do shadow work, look at the dark parts of yourself. And, you know, a lot of the practices, uh, helped me shed, you know, uh, a lot of the darkness that I had, you know, as far as, you know, he used to always tell me, man, anger is your homeboy. You know, you roll out, roll with anger all the time. You get angry with people when you get let down. But, you know, uh, he taught me the practice of bhakti yoga, you know, that one of the concepts of bhakti yoga is, uh, respect and to look again. And, you know, the concept with that, is, you know, if you see somebody physically, you know, that's cool, but that's a good reference point. But, you know, look again, look a little deeper and see that light that's inside of them. That's the same light that's inside of you. And that'll make you, now I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but, you know, it's helped me not roll with anger uh, as much and, you know, try to be as empathetic to as many people and try to lift as many people up as, as I can because, you know, that same light that's in you is in me. Why not? We're, we're, we're one. You know, that's the whole point of yoga also, the oneness. And, you know, that's one of the concepts that, you know, we took from the practices off the mat and actually into our life. And, you know, there's so many more uh, that you can do. You know, we're not bashing people who do the physical practices because that's very important. But, you know, yoga is, like you said, David, uh, a lot deeper. Even when you look at the eight limbs of yoga, asanas is one of the limbs. A lot of it has nothing to do with movement. Like, you know, like the yamas and the niyamas are the way it is that you live your life. You know what I mean? Because like like I was saying, yoga isn't something that you do. It's something that you are. So there are certain ways that you should live your life. Now, if you get that down, then you work on the asanas. Like there's some movement. But the movement is to keep your body healthy, but also so you can sit in, in a firm meditation posture. And then after you get that one, you go into pranayama, just slow your mind down. And just, again, lots of physical, emotional, mental, 
esoteric benefits to a pranayama practice, but a lot of it is to slow your mind down so you can meditate. And those final four pillars of yoga or like limbs of yoga are all meditation. Pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. Like it's all building towards your union with your universal infinite self. And like, that's what, that's what it is. I mean, you, yoga is like to yoke. It's union. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're uniting with your true self. Like you're tearing off all these veils and like dealing with your ego and going through this human existence so that you can unite with yourself. That's the whole point of the practice. And the asanas, it's cool, but you're missing out on all the beauty of what the practice has to offer if you only get stuck in that one point. And that universal self that Ali's talking about is, uh, you know, that's the light within you. And that's the light that we're talking about in the book that we want everyone to let shine. That's why we called it Let Your Light Shine, because when you start tapping into that real infinite self of who you really are, then it's going to allow you to experience life in a different way. And if you're able to let that light shine through, then I think that's when love becomes that powerful force in the universe, that uniting force that connects and pulls us all together to be one and to be a more loving, you know, just better planet. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking of two things right now. So I'm thinking about how the physical practice feels kind of ego-based because it's you. You know, you can't do a physical practice for someone else. It's, it's like yours. But when you're, when you're doing the meditations, you're doing the mantras, you're doing these other different eight limbs that you're saying, those are allowing others to like have their light. You see their light, you see yours. It benefits other people, you know, but the, the physical practice just benefits you. So I'm noticing how there's like a, 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 like a different relationship between those two and how it affects others around you and yourself. And then the other thing I was thinking about was how, so yoga is not just body work. It's like mental, it's physical, it's feeling, it's mantras, it's being still with your mind. And I was thinking about how interesting that was because you guys, in a way, have come from, you know, seeing a need in the community, showing up and doing that and like facilitating in-person work at schools, mentoring, and then, you know, workshops and all this stuff. And then now you're writing a book. So it's like you have this like really awesome information and this wisdom and knowledge that you want to share. And you've been sharing it in person, but now you've transitioned to like a, a literal sense where you can share it to a broader audience. I'm just kind of like finding these similarities. And I think that's really cool. And and I think in our, our next episode, we're going to go a little bit deeper into what is going on in the book and what you're writing. And I'm actually really excited to dive into this. But before we end, is there any last things you guys want to say? Yeah, I'd like to say something about the physical practice. Like, I feel like a lot of the views of the physical practice of yoga have been very colonized and whitewashed. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at Yoga Journal, everybody on the cover looks a certain way. If you look at a lot of different places, people look a certain Like, there's certain... And when people think of yoga, they think of a certain image. And I don't, I don't think that's all there is to the physical practice because like Kundalini is a physical practice. Kriya is a physical practice. And those you're not just doing for yourself or your ego. Like those are to open up energy inside of you, energy that people around you are going to feel. It's going to make you function differently in the world. Um, it's going to open you to different things. It's going to help you to tap into your light and clean up your nerve and your nodders and like all these other things that are going to happen. So I think the practice needs to be particularly the physical practice needs to be liberated a little bit, you know what I mean? And, and opened up and other forms need to be looked at and, and shown that it's for all body types. It's not just for one certain specific demographic that looks a certain way. And I think we, the, the practice definitely needs to be 
like decolonized a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think this was a, a great introduction to HLF, the work that you're doing. And I'm really excited to have our next episode where we're going to dive deeper into the book. Yeah, I'm curious. So real quick, before we end, when does it come out? Like, what, what are some details that you can give us? I mean, the book comes out on October 18th, but it's already on Amazon for pre-order. Uh, and if you do pre-order, uh, you get three practices uh, led by Ali and myself. So yeah, pre-order or you can wait till the book launch yeah. on the 18th. And you can go to LetYourLightShineBook.com and that way you'll be eligible for the three uh, meditation downloads and the uh, infographic that we're going to give you. That's awesome. Very cool, guys. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here and then I'll see you next episode. Peace. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, thanks, bro. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.